Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and then found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from South Florida, and I, you know, I love to say that with all my friends in Canada, but it has special meaning today because my guest is from Canada, and I'm so excited that she's here. I have Miss Keisha Christie. Keisha, thank you so much for being my special guest. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. And everybody, today is a very special day for me because I'm kicking off my third season of Stand Up and Speak Up. This is a very short first show of Stand Up and Speak Up uh, for this season. And it's also my daughter's 31st birthday. And I woke up this morning to my grandkids singing happy birthday to their mom via FaceTime uh, in my bedroom. And it was so much fun. It's a great day to start the day. And it's a beautiful sunny day down here in Florida. And Keisha and I are doing something different today too, where we actually are, are filming this show. I'm recording this show because I have a storyteller here and a storyteller. Yeah. You can listen to it on the radio and, and you can visualize, you can, you know, think about things in your mind, but I wanted the audience in the replay to see Keisha tell her stories. So I'm really excited. Thank you again so much for being with me here today. Most welcome. So Keisha, as all my other guests for the most part, I have not met in person. And today it's fun because I really do get to see her on Zoom. And uh, she is a good friend of my friend, Allison Harvey, who Allison I've interviewed a couple of times. She lives up in Ontario and she is woman on fire. And she is one hot tamale. She's in... Um, Trinidad right now I believe with her mom and uh, we just did a special thing and where I actually saw Keisha for the first time and we were doing inspirational messages for the month of April with Allison's Woman on Fire and I just when I saw what Keisha does and storytelling to me is just fun and exciting I said I've got to reach out to this woman and I did and she said yes when I asked her to be on the show so what I like to do with my guests, though, Keisha, is go back in history a little bit. And for me, it's longer than for you. But I want to know about your background. Where did you grow up? And tell me a little bit about your family. Sure. I was born in Canada. And my family background is Jamaican. So we grew up in, it was my mom and I, we grew up 
in actually a few places. So I spent most of my time in Ontario, in Scarborough. I spent a short time in Alberta, but it was too cold for me. And the doctor said, send her back because I was sick every week. And uh, we've been in Ontario ever since. And yeah, I have two younger sisters and um, they do amazing things themselves and their businesses and uh, work. I also have uh, two brothers uh, on my dad's side who all live in Toronto or the GTA. And I also have an older sister who lives in Toronto as well. So we're, you know, a sizable family. We spend time together because that's what's important. And every time we get together, there's always a story to share. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, what's your favorite story, but we'll get into that in a minute. When you were young, did you like reading and telling stories or were you a sports person? What kind of stuff kept you kept you busy? I was a bit of both. I loved reading and writing poetry and I was into track. Uh, 100 meters, 200 meters. I was all about running at the time. It just, it was freeing. So I loved to do it. And run away from the boys. Well, you know, until I was a certain age and then you run in the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, boys. I mean, I had three brothers, so I they were my best buddies and they, I played with them and until I met all their buddies and I was like, oh, I don't like your friends anymore. So, but, <laughs> but that's fun. And reading is important too because it opens up the imagination. And it's always interesting to me to find people that are authors and whatever to see, did they really read as kids? And was that a safe spot? So what might've been one of your favorite books when you were young? Oh gosh. I loved uh, Judy Bloom. Oh, back yeah. In the day. yeah. And uh, Babysitter Club, those types of books. And then uh, when I got a little bit older and um, we were able to, we were exposed to black authors, then I got into the Toni Morrison and those types of books. So as I got older, I was able to be able to be more exposed to the books that were based in, in my culture. Um, when we were younger, we, we found stories differently. Our stories were not written down, they were really told. And so it's really an, a rich oral tradition. And so I was, it was easy for me to picture what was happening in the books because I already, I was literally trained to see what's happening when I heard a story. Well, it's interesting on my website, I actually have a, a um comment or a message from Maya Angelou. And she says, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And I love that. And for us, in, especially in Stand Up and Speak Up, it's all about telling your story and getting it out because of the feeling it gives you from the inside out. And that was why I wanted to have a visual of you. Most of my guests are not on video and you're the very first one. And it's because of storytelling and it's because of the feelings that I've seen you portray in the stories that are so, so important. And this is really exciting to me. So we're going to jump right into the storytelling because I want, that's why you're here and I want people to hear this. So where do your stories come from? I tell African and Caribbean folktales. So these are the stories that you find in books. They're also stories that are told in mixed company. So some of the stories I find uh, through research, others I've heard a time or two and wanted to bring back to life and um, others I can find in like online type environments, but it's, it's really, the stories find me. I like to tell people because there are stories that you read and, or, or the stories that you experience that you, I can't tell. I can't remember it. it, the feeling's not right. And there are other stories that stick like glue and those are the treasures. 
Are there any stories that perhaps your grandparents or great grandparents might have told you or your parents maybe? Oh, absolutely. In our culture, we share uh, Anansi stories. And those are stories about a mythical creature who has the body of a spider and the face of a man. He's known as being really smart, but very cunning. He's the biggest trickster, but often gets himself in and out of trouble using his wit. And so we hear stories about his encounters when he wins and when he doesn't win. So can you tell me one of those stories? Because I did listen to that one on, uh, I found a YouTube video of you this morning and I did listen to that one. I thought that was cool. So I go ahead and tell that story if you, if you can. Oh gosh, there are so many of those Nancy stories to tell. Well, this was the one about, um, I think he had to get three things to ah, be able to get the stories. Absolutely. So this is the story about how all stories became Nancy stories. Everywhere you go, you'll hear Anansi this, Anansi that. Well, let me tell you how it all began. Long ago, Anansi sat in his web looking down on the earth and people were busy. They would work, they would farm, they would do all kinds of things. But in the evening, when they gathered around the fire, they did nothing. They sat in silence. Anansi looked down on this and thought, no, there's got to be more than this. And that's when he had the idea. All of the stories at this time belonged to Neme, who kept all of the stories in a box under his throne. Well, Anansi said, I'm going to get those stories. And he fashioned a web and went up into the sky to meet Neme at his throne. And he said, the people need stories. I come for your stories. <laughs> Neme laughed. You, little Anansi, many have come before you for these stories and have failed. What makes you think that you can get my stories? Well, Anansi spoke up. I can get your stories. Well, I don't give them away for free, he said. You have to do three tasks in order to get my stories. Number one, you need to capture Onimi, who is the python that can eat a goat whole. Then you have to bring me Osebo. He is the tiger whose teeth are as sharp as spears. And number three, you need to bring Morabo, who's the hornet as large as your fist and angry. Bring me those three things and we can talk about my stories. Well, Anansi was excited. He knew he needed a plan, but he had to move fast. So he went back down to the earth and started his plan. He walked through the forest, muttering to himself, ooh, maybe, ooh, could it be? And he kept muttering and muttering. Well, in comes Onimi, looking at Anansi and his crazy behavior and says, Anansi, who are you speaking to? Well, Anansi said, ah, Onimi, you're here. My wife and I are having an argument. Onini leaned in. And Nancy said, I think that you are longer than all of the other snakes in the forest. My wife seems to think you're shorter, but I don't know how to measure. Mm. Onini said, I will lay down and you use a bamboo stick 
Well, this was a great idea. So Anansi grabbed the longest bamboo stick he could find and laid it on the ground. And there it was, Onini laid right next to the stick. But Anansi had a plan. He said, ooh, every time I try to measure you, you move your head. Or when I look at your head, you move your tail. This is not good. But if I can tie you to the bamboo stick, then we can measure for sure. And so Anansi spun webs and he tied Onini around his head, around his tail, and a whole bunch of places in the middle. But he tied so tight that Onini couldn't move. And then when Onini realized he couldn't move, Anansi began to laugh. <laughs> You're caught. He lifted the bamboo stick and brought it back to Onini. Brought Onini to Nyame. And then he looked and Nyame smiled out of one side of his mouth. <laughs> Anansi had more work to do. He came back down to the earth and then he had to decide how he was going to capture the tiger that eats any and everything in his way. So Anansi dug a hole in the middle of the path that Osebo took each night to catch his prey. He made sure that that hole was deep and wide and covered it with leaves. When he was satisfied, Anansi went home. That night, Osebo came out looking for his prey. He was slow and sleek and he kept walking until whoops, he fell into the hole. When he looked around, he could not get out. It was just too tall and too wide. All he could do was walk around until morning. When Anansi came the next morning, he looked down in the hole and saw that he had caught Osebo. What are you doing down there? Anansi called. Osebo said, Anansi, why are you so foolish? I am stuck in this hole. Get me out. And Nancy looked around and saw a young tree. And he tied one end of his web around the top of the tree. And then he lowered the other end down into the hole to Osebo. Well, then Osebo looked at the string and thought, what am I to do with that? And Nancy said, tie it around your tail. So he did. When the web was firm, and the tree had bent down into the hole and Nancy cut the string. And then the tree popped up to its full height and up came Osebo, bouncing around and spinning in circles. Well, while he was spinning and Nancy kept spinning a web. And then Osebo was fully wrapped in a spider's web. He couldn't move. And Nancy laughed. <laughs> You're caught. He scooped up Osebo and brought him to Nyame. And Nyame smiled out of the other side of his mouth. But Anansi had more work. He came back down to earth, thinking about how he would catch an angry hornet. Hmm. As Anansi looked around, he saw a large calabash. It looked like a, a, a butternut squash. And he cut off the top and he scooped out all of the goodness inside. He'd save that for dinner. And he kept the lid. Then he filled it with water and went out to hunt for Morabo. When he got to Morabo's tree, he could hear the hornets inside buzzing. So he needed to finish his plan. 
and Nancy doused himself in water. And then he took the rest of the water and he poured it on the hornet's nest. Now you and I know hornets do not like water. They came out of the nest in anger. Zing, zing, zing. And there it was, a Nancy with a large leaf. And he called out, oh, the rains must have come early. There the hornets were trying to figure out what they were going to do next because their home was soaked in water. And Nancy said, why don't you stay in my gourd? I'll wait till the rain passes and let you out. They had no other choice. The rains were already here and they could see water everywhere. They flew inside the gourd. Zing, zing, zing. When the last hornet flew in and Nancy put on the lid and sealed it with his web, he carried it up to Niamey and brought it. Niamey looked at the gourd and said, and Nancy, what is this? I told you to bring me Morabo and you bring me a gourd. And Nancy smiled. Shake. Yame shook the gourd, and all he could hear was the buzzing of the angry hornets. Zing, zing, zing. Ha, ha, ha. laughed a hard, full belly laugh. And Nancy, many have come before you and failed, and look at you, such a tiny creature, and you caught Onini, Osebo, and Morabo. Oh, he reached under his throne and pulled out the box of stories. He said, and Nancy, these stories are your stories. Anyone who tells these stories must know that they belong to you. They are now called Anansi stories. Well, Anansi said, yes, 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 and took the box. And with that, he came back down to earth as quickly as he could. And he found the people where they were each evening, sitting by the fire, doing nothing. And Nancy opened this box and started to give out stories here, there, and everywhere. People started to tell stories. This person, that person, and the next. And these stories continued to be told from one generation to the other, so that to this day in Africa and in many places around the world, you can still hear these spider stories. Now, You've heard the story I've just told you. I encourage you to share them once again. That is fabulous. And I'm sitting here just going through it with you. And I'm like, and I've heard it before. <laughs> thank you so much because it just draws you in. And, and that's what I think is so important is we need to take time to listen to that, to listen to those stories. You know, you and I are talking earlier about how we're all so busy. Just busy, busy, busy. And our children have the attention span of a net. <laughs> so when you tell these stories, who do you tell them to most of and, and how do they react? I tell stories to mixed audiences. I love telling stories to senior groups because they tell you how they connect with the story. I remember when my aunt told me the story or um, I remember telling stories about how tulips came to Canada. And one lady came to me and she said, you know, I remember when the hospital became, you know, neutral territory and she could tell me her mother was there and she knew a nurse who worked in the ward as part of that story. We'll save for another day. 
And I was just very amazed at the extra detail that she gave me that I can now tell with the next time I share the story. And when you tell stories to younger children, their eyes light up because they relate to the characters. And for those, for the younger children, I like to tell stories about how the little character wins over the bigger characters. So they see themselves uh, in those characters. And when you're in audiences with uh, older generations, like mix of, of everyone, you can see the recognition in the eyes of the older generation and the younger generations connect differently because they're now seeing the older generation in a new light. So it's it's just great to see those stories. I often say that you either reminisce about the old days or learn something new. And it's just amazing to see how people connect. Stories connect us as humans first off. Well, I can see, I can see the smile on your face. And that's what I love. I love my guests when they're smiling. And I can you tell me, how does it make you feel when you're telling these stories? And does it get better with time? Well, the stories change every time you tell them. It's really the, the, the audience draws out the story differently. So I always just say, I'm along for the ride. I don't know how the story is going to come out that day. I just kind of start the story and I let it, I let it go. Because there are ancestors or there are messages that the audiences need to receive. And so whoever needs to hear it in a specific way, it comes out. Each folktale has a lesson and it's also a way for us to look on our society and laugh at ourselves, um, think of things differently as well as be thought provoking and, and, and start conversations. So when the stories come out, I don't know what the message is supposed, what the message is supposed to be at the end of the day, but going on the journey with the listeners is fantastic. When I see eyes light up or hear laughter at the jokes, it's just, it just adds, it's, it's, it's a flow, free flow of energy. You give and receive, it's, it's amazing. And that's why I wanted to have you on video today because that was important to me. And it's funny, as I'm sitting there listening to the story and thinking, well, gosh, he's really cunning and he's really clever and he's incredibly persistent. Yes. And, and all those things that we need to be as, as entrepreneurs and as parents and everything else, it's like, you know, spur of the moment, he just came up with those things so quickly. It was fun. So you said something though about the story bringing tulips to Canada. Yes. My daughter's favorite flowers are tulips. So since it's Jenny's birthday today, can you tell me the story of how tulips came to Canada? Oh, absolutely. In the capital city of Ottawa, we have a park called, uh, it's called Coronation Park, I believe. However, it's got a large garden filled with all kinds of tulips, pinks, yellows, blues, all kinds of colors. But it's funny that tulips are not indigenous to Canada. During the wars, the First and Second World War, there were things happening in the world that we could not control. Now the Netherlands was being attacked and they had to protect the royal family. Well, the king and the queen went into hiding, but they needed to protect the younger generation. So they sent their daughter to Canada. She was exiled for her safety. And so she lived in Canada in the Ottawa area. And well, of course, when you live so far away from your family, you build a new life, which she did. And she met someone and of course they fell in love and there was a baby. Well, there was a little bit of a problem because in Canada, when you're born in Canada, you're Canadian. 
However, in the Netherlands and in Dutch culture, whether you're aware, it doesn't matter where you're born, you are considered to be Dutch. But this baby needed to be pure blood, which meant the baby could not go all the way back to the Netherlands in order to be born. The baby had to be born in Canada, but Canada had to figure out a way to make it so that the pure blood would still exist. So all the politicians got together and talked, speaking back and forth, what were they going to do? Well, they had decided that the baby was going to be born at the largest hospital in Ottawa. What they needed to do was make that hospital neutral ground. And so they went through the politics that they needed to do in order to declare that hospital neutral ground. It was almost like when you went into the middle of the ocean and you end up being a citizen of nowhere. That is what Canada had to do for this hospital. Now, at first, they thought they would just make the ward neutral territory. And then they realized that they had to make it the entire hospital. And so when the princess went to give birth, she was giving birth in a hospital that was not considered to be a part of Canada for the moment. Once the baby girl was born, oh, it was a joyful noise. They heard crying, they heard laughter, everyone was happy. Staff, mother, father, everyone was overjoyed. After the baby was born and mom had completed her recovery, she had to leave the hospital and return to her home. Once she returned to her home in Ottawa City, the hospital became a part of Canada once again. This way, not only was the child born as Dutch, the child had pure blood and didn't have to share citizenship with both Canada and the Netherlands. This child was born as a part of the royal kingdom in the Netherlands. Well, the royal family was overjoyed. And as the time went on, Canada decided to join the war efforts and deliver care packages to the Netherlands. Now they filled the planes with all kinds of supplies and they flew over the Netherlands, dropping these care packages here and there. And the people gathered tulips and set them out to say thank you. So as the planes flew over, they would see thank you written on the ground. And this was just joyful for all of the Canadian air pilots who flew to bring the care. Well, the Netherlands wanted to do more. So after the war had ended, they had spoken with Canada, thanking them for keeping the princess, bringing the princess back to the Netherlands with her new extended family. They were able to welcome her back into the royal family and wanted to give Canada something to remind them of the care they showed to an exiled princess during the war. So they got together and gathered tulips and sent them to Canada. And Canada was gracious and thankful for the gift. They planted the gift in the garden, which we can still see today. But did you know that every year since then, including today, the Netherlands consistently send a shipment of tulips to Canada as a thank you for looking after the exiled princess? Well, how cool is that? So in that story... It makes you feel good because I love tulips, but there's <laughs> history, there's family, there's fun, and I'm sure there's a little bit of truth in, in much of it, if not all of it. Um, 
But what a great way to, to get that across to people. I, I That was just fun. So thank you for saying that. So are there special stories for different holidays and birthdays? And Yes. The, the, well, that's the, the, the beauty of folktales. They can fit into whatever's happening in the world differently. I mean, you won't hear a story about, oh, let's tell you about Johnny's birthday. But there will be a celebration that happens in the story that happens to be related to a birthday and kind of what happens or, you know, putting together a party and the struggles of dealing with different personalities and how it all works out in the end. So there's always a lesson to learn in each of the folktales that we tell. And I find that whether you're telling a story from Africa or the different islands in the Caribbean, they all have influences um, from where the story originated. So in Africa, a lot of the, the culture is a little bit different, but in the Caribbean, there's the commonality of where they're located, but each island has a different influence. For example, the character might change a little bit because, you know, it's a story from St. Lucia where they uh, tell more co-prayer rabbit stories, who is the trickster that Anansi is. And then you'll travel to the Bahamas where they have Babuki and Barabi, which is a, a goat and a, a sheep type um, characters who are the tricksters in, in their island. So the, the characters might change a little bit, but the content is the same. The themes are the same and the, the lessons are sim very similar. Eh. It doesn't matter how the story changes. I mean, it's, you've played the game telephone where yes. someone starts a story and by the time you get around the room, it's not the same story. Uh, it's got the same flavor and it's fun, but it's just, for me, it's the way you tell it and the inflection in your voice. And you're, you do this professionally, but it's not your profession. You actually, oh. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the real Keisha. <laughs> I am an insurance broker. And I spend my days uh, communicating with uh, CFOs, CEOs, explaining their insurance, where they need insurance, where we can help with a little bit more and different things like that. Sometimes people call me angry because their premium increases, but I do a lot of reading of very let's say dry contracts. So you're reading it for the content to, you know, give back information and it's not a creative outlet. And I believe that everyone needs a creative outlet, whether it be journaling or uh, yoga, what, wherever you find beauty, gardening, everyone needs something. And for me, it's storytelling. And it's just, I can be my most authentic self in, in my purest form when I tell stories. And I mean, the lessons that I've learned in storytelling, I do bring back to my workplace, but I like having that that um, little interesting piece. I'm, I'm a different broker than, than most. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you are an insurance. I actually have my license too, but when I think of insurance in my life, the, the most defining moment was right after my husband had passed away and uh, he had canceled our life insurance two months before he died. And the reason he did that is because his premium went up from $100 a month to five or $600 a month. And he refused to pay that. And we didn't have a relationship with our insurance agent, which I've spoken to insurance agents since then saying, it's not a transaction. It is a yes, relation. And I can see that your storytelling could really, it could break the ice because I mean, I would want to speak with you. <laughs> And find out about that stuff. So have you, has it given you some ins into working with your clients? And Absolutely. You are more relatable because now 
a lot of people, when they're telling you the facts and your premiums and this and that, they're giving you the numbers and people don't connect to numbers. Now you can tell them the story. So I can say, you know, your premiums increased, but this is what it looks like. Um, your premium may have increased, but think about it that, you know, the worst happens to your family. It's not a great conversation to have, but you can now have you know, introduce it that way. When people can see themselves in a situation or they can relate to the situation that you're presenting, it's easier for them. For example, I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago about cyber insurance, which is ever changing and ever increasing. And so premiums are, are increasing by 300% in some cases. And here I am with my smiling self having to tell them the great news. But I was able to basically put it into perspective and say, this is what the market looks like in that, you know, there are bad actors, there's, you know, mistakes, there are different things that it's not just one thing that attacks your, your cyber. And when I put it to them in that way, they could see in themselves, oh, okay, so it's not just I need to protect myself in one way. They were able to understand how I was presenting the numbers and the conversation flowed easily and questions came that we were able to have that flow of conversation. It wasn't an instructional um, video. It was more of an exchange, which made that conversation easier. And I think it also by telling other stories, like in, in my case, I work with a lot of women that have, have lost money due to, to relationship scams. And so they're, they're feeling alone, vulnerable, like they're, no one has been through this before. And once they hear my story or another uh, survivor's story, they realize, oh, well, it happens to really intelligent, smart, you know, well-educated people uh, of all ages, shapes, colors, you name it. Uh, I'm not alone anymore. But when I tell my insurance story, especially to a group of widows or business people, it's now, you guys, listen, listen to the story, because this is how it affects families, it will affect you. And my husband kept thinking, yeah, it's not gonna happen to me, we got enough, you know, investments and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, oops, well, nope, I really wish you had done that was the only thing I was mad at him about after the fact. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I was, I was mad at him for dying, because he died suddenly, but I, that I got over that. But it was those things that in my moments of frustration, you know, why, did you do that? Why, why, why? And I came down to not knowing who the agent was, not having that relationship and not looking at the repercussions of what might happen. And I would imagine in your situation, you've heard lots of those stories and you can relay those when you're talking to a new client and saying, yeah, I don't need that. I don't need that. Well, exactly. Uh, it, having those stories make people listen more. Statistics are great, but it's like, oh yeah, 15%. Yeah, 5%. Because when they're listening to those numbers, it's the that's not me effect. But when they hear a personal story or they hear of an incident that's happened to a company, whoa, wait a minute. I have somebody who does that. Or now they see themselves and making that connection to the story allows them to see those statistics differently. Right, which is it's so important. And, and I mean, my whole show is called Stand Up and Speak Up. It's about stories. It's about people that have had something happen in their life. And, and when you hit rock bottom, it's like, so how do you rise above? So let's get personal. You had a moment in your life when you felt like you were at the bottom and how did you get out of it? You got out of it because you got a smile on your face, but don't be, <laughs> the woman, don't be the woman behind the smile like my story. <laughs> Actually, it's not just one moment. Um, I've 
fallen on my face a number of times in, in my life. And it had a lot to do with some with self-esteem, some with not understanding um, finances, others not understanding my body, um, you know, gaining a lot of weight and then not understanding what that looks like on the rest of your life, the health implications, the struggling with your children. I couldn't run behind my my youngest, my oldest daughter sometimes because I was too heavy. Um, but then realizing that I was overeating because I was stressed out about not being able to provide for my family um, in the way that I could. Uh, when you're making lower income, you're not, you're constantly thinking about how are you going to pay the next as opposed to enjoying yourself in the moment. So there's times when you end up on autopilot and then what do you do? Um, I remember hitting a moment in my life where I don't remember being there. I mean, I did all of the things I was supposed to. I woke up, brushed teeth, took care of my daughter, took her to daycare, went to work every day, came back home, cooked dinner, went to sleep, got up, did the same thing the next day. But I don't remember being present in those moments. And it took me a moment to really stop and wake myself up. And I did that one day looking in the mirror. And you know, when you stare into your own eyes, it's a whole mystifying thing, but you're able to really see yourself. And when I looked in the mirror, I didn't recognize who was looking back at me. And I was like, okay, this isn't me. <laughs> I am happy, but no one can see that right now. I'm joyful, but no one can feel that right now. This has to change. And so I really had to take the time and put one foot in front of the other and go back to the things I love, go back to reading, go back to journaling, um, studying to improve myself in my career. It was making those times to have, you know, do an art project or make a meal with my daughter. At this time, this was when schools had, you know, pizza day and candy day and all kinds of things. So we started making those things instead of, you know, having to find the next $5 for that. So she'd go with a huge bag of popcorn while everybody got their tiny bag. And so she remembered the making of that. And so I was like, okay, I was in that moment because I remember it too. And I kept taking those moments of being present and started stringing them together until I was consistently present in my life at all times. And so I took control of my weight. I took control of my personality, personal growth. I took control of wanting to be authentic all the time. And that changed the group of friends I was around. It changed my mindset and it just led to a whole bunch of things I never expected. I'm a storyteller now and I'm on stages, or, well, online now, but you know, uh, appeared on stages with hundreds and thousands of people. I'm terrified to speak in public. Well, I made the decision to change that. I joined Toastmasters. I called myself a storyteller. I started doing videos. I started speaking uh, for events and different things one step at a time until I became comfortable. And now I'm always breaking my comfort zone. As soon as I feel too comfortable, I reach a little bit higher and find something new to, to reach for so that I'm not being stagnant. I'm always reaching for that higher self and being present. And when you change your, your mindset on a lot of things, it's not all things all at, at once. It's one or two things that you do consistently that end up changing your entire life. Well, it's taking that first step. I, I've been reading a great book called uh, by Susan Jeffords called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And she, we're never going to have a life without fear. It's, it's actually what makes us grow. And sometimes we want to just get through it quickly you know, or become comfortable being uncomfortable in that fear. 
And for you and for me originally, the speaking up part was very daunting. And I, I just kind of jumped. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, someone sent me a video or someone sent me a link and said, hey, the California Women's Conference is doing their first speak off. Why don't you, why don't you send a video in? Well, I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know if I could do the video myself. I just did it. And I sent it in saying, what the heck? Let's just do it. Right. And then I get this call. Hey, we want you to come to California. You're one of the three finalists in the speak off. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I called all my friends at Women's Prosperity Network because it's the first group that I told my story to. And they were all going to be at that conference. And I like, we'll be there. And that was really important. I mean, I practiced in the bathroom. I practiced in my office. I practiced in front of mirrors. I practiced in front of my phones. It's like, you just tell it and tell it, tell it till you, the story now is part of you. And it might come out a little different than you planned, but it's still going to come out. Absolutely. Specific period of time. But the most important part for me was knowing that my friends were down at the bottom of the stage. I couldn't see them. It was dark, but I knew <laughs> they were there. I could hear them, you know, hear the whoop, whoop, uh, and once you did it, and of course, then I won it. And that was really cool. But it was just the fact that I did it. And I say, just jump, just do it. And the worst thing is that you would have bombed and it would, you know, you wouldn't tell a story again. But that worst case rarely happens. You know, Definitely. so it's the mindset. So how did you, well, I can, I know how you did it. But did you feel like you were the woman behind the smile in many times, in many times? Yes. Uh, I was, like I said, I wasn't always present, but once I made the decision to be present and be as much my authentic self until I could do, uh, sorry, Maya Angelou, I believe said that you do something until you know better. And when you know better, you do better. So I just kind of kept, I know this, I'm going to go with this. And when I learned something new, I did that until I found myself being, you know, I'm now in the range of 95 to hundred percent, my authentic self. There are moments when you have doubt, but you push through it. And it's like you said, just do it. So I started saying yes to all kinds of things. And, you know, I said, I'd figure it out later. And Saying that yes allowed me to make a commitment to myself. Getting it done allowed me to complete that commitment to whoever asked me to do whatever the task was. And that feeling of completion was that, yeah, you thought you could, you did. So now all of those quotes and phrases were becoming true because I was living them and I got excited. So it's like, okay, let's do the next one. What's next? What's next? And I mean, there are times when you're still afraid, but you know what? You have to do them afraid. Do you remember the first time that you told the story, told a story and got out on stage? I do. I do. Oh gosh. It was a Black History Month event at my church and my pastor's always doing different things. And he was looking for something different for this year. And I raised my hand and said, you know, I'm a storyteller. Haven't told stories in public yet, but I'm a storyteller and I'm happy to, you know, share my services with you. He said, send me a video. So I did the video. I sent it over, did it in my mom's basement, sent it over. And he said, yeah, we want to have you. Okay, great. And he's like, yep. Any of your audio that you need to bring, you know, make sure we have that ahead of time. Okay, great. No problem. So I told my, my mom, my aunt, I said, I'm going to be a storyteller. I'm going to tell it at church. This is what I need. And so I wore the Jamaican 
folk dress, which is a bandana. It's a, a hair tie with a white top and the same pattern on your head is on your skirt. And I had my shoes. And then I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I got to have music, right? Everybody loves music. So I found the um, Jamaican welcome song, which is long time gal. And so I had the, the instrumental for that. And then I had like a song that they were going to play when I was walking off the stage. And everybody thought all of those were for the audience, but those were for me. So <laughs> We're at presentation day, the church is filled. And I was just like, okay, this, this, is, this is new, but we're gonna, we're gonna just keep going with the feeling. I had my head tie on, everybody was so excited and they're coming up to me, giving me encouragement. I was still terrified. And we have a folklorist, uh, Dr. Louise Bennett Cloverly, affectionately known as Miss Lou. I actually met her in person. So I remember watching her on stage and all of that was starting to come back to me. And right as the music started, my heart started to da -da 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 -da. and I heard her voice say, open up your mouth. And I was like, okay. So I sashayed up on that stage. I can't really remember everything that happened, but I walked up on that stage. I took that mic. I moved the stand to the side and I let out that story. I heard laughter. I heard, yeah, I heard clapping throughout the story. So I was like, this is good. I don't know about anybody else, but it sounds good to me. And I kept going and going and going until the end. And when the closing music played. I was just in my zone. I shook the pastor's hand and sashayed off the stage. And when I sat back down, my heart started going. But by then it was done and it felt like it was the most beautiful thing. And when I exited church that day, everyone gave me so many compliments. I was like, yes, I'm officially a storyteller now. I can feel that moment. That is so exciting. And the confidence that it gave you at that point, probably for everything, did it change how you, how you presented yourself at work? Yes. Yes. In it what did. ways? Well, learning to do public speaking, I did that through, through Toastmasters. So even, you know, attending a few minutes, you feel a little more confident with that, but being in front of that many people on a platform realizing that no matter where you are, you are home. Home is where you are. It's not necessarily a building, family, all those things are nice to have. But if you feel home where you are, you can ask that complicated question in the workplace. Or if somebody's saying something that you don't understand, I've learned over time that nine times out of 10, you're not the only one confused in the room, but you are the one bold enough to ask the question. So if you're home is with you when you're in that space at that table on that stage in front of all that all those people your home is here so you confidently ask your question because you're safe your home you're safe you ask you say you speak you instruct you inform you entertain because you're confidently in your own space and it's funny you'll realize once you've said something others were thinking the same thing or they're grateful that you asked that's where I was going to, it's people are grateful that you're the one, that you're the one that has, has the courage to speak up, even though inside you're going, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> it's really important. Exactly. And, uh, and I love that when I was putting together the promotions for the show, I said, stories are not just for the teller, the magic is in the listening. And I, I started thinking back to when our, I interviewed my parents and they used to listen to the radio. They didn't have the television. 
So the storytellers had to have the inflection and the creation and all the fun and the music, you know, it, it's funny you turn off a scary movie and it's not scary. <laughs> sure. It's the music. So I listen to shows in my ears plug because I don't like scary movies. Um, but it, it's, it, it's, it's a surrounding and it's taking the time to not be so busy and just absorb the message because there are messages in these stories and like you said statistics are good but the story around something is so much better and listening is a gift Absolutely. so how do you like do you have favorite storytellers are there other people that you like to listen to oh gosh yes <laughs> here's a question when you're listening are you listening for how they do it or are you listening to the story or both it's both but differently so in a performance I am listening to the teller and their experience I'm going on the journey because when you're when you're the listener you're taking the journey with the teller and they're just giving you those those little roadmaps to say go left go right here you go and so you're following that journey and when I'm listening I'm in the story and then if I have an opportunity to watch a video or hear it again or you know how you replay things in your mind that's when I look for the technique and oh yeah when she did this hand gesture I fell with her so um there are those moments but there are so many tellers that I love both in Canada and around the world who I love to listen to and going from being a young storyteller to um I would say a growing <laughs> growing storytelling because you're always learning something new so you're never really uh done growing or learning i have actually had the opportunity of either speaking with working with or having a one-on-one -on -one experience with the storytellers that i've been listening to and you know growing with and they're all over the world in the uk in the caribbean in canada as well and it's just a, you know and in the us it's just the stories that the storytellers that I listened to that I was so amazed with are now either I'm reaching out to them and they're, or they're reaching out to me to say, yes, stories are in good hands. The next generation is, is coming. Cause really I decided to be a storyteller because I looked around and I saw that a lot of our storytellers were um, older mm -hmm. and I looked around and I didn't see the next generation. And then I thought, you know, stories can't die. Like they, they just can't we keep each other alive, we keep our ancestors alive by telling these stories. So we need to continue. And so that's when I took on the title and it's going through the process, learning the stories, I understand the role of a teller and, and, and what they bring to, to listeners. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm just very honored to be able to share. What is amazing, it goes back to the very first story you told on the show about you know, giving, giving to the next generation. And, and you went through your little trials and your three little characters. I'm sure you've had those, those moments in your life where you've had to, you know, do things that made you very uncomfortable or, or gave you great strength. And, you know, you were cunning, you were clever, you were very persistent in what you're doing. And, and it is so much fun to watch. Now our Zoom call is going to run out before our, our audio call. I did listen to a story online that you did, and it was called a, the bird of 1000 colors. Ah, uh. My Can favorite. I tell that one? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. The birds 
were rulers among themselves. They lived in the rainforest and they did all kinds of things, but they needed to have a ruler. Who was going to be the head of all the birds? Well, birds were beautiful. There were blue birds, there were yellow birds, green, every color you could think of, there was a bird that color. There was one bird who was a color you wouldn't expect, and that is really the, the turkey. Turkey <laughs> had brown feathers, and that was it. So when the birds called for an election, the turkey was excited because he knew that he was definitely the one for the job, and he would strut his stuff. But he had that same problem we talked about earlier, his feathers. They were brown. When he looked at the peacock, he thought, all of that beauty is wasted. Those blues and greens and black and white. Uh, he looked down at himself, brown. Then he was looking at the other birds, oh, the parrots, the parakeets and all of their colors, and he just had brown feathers. How could he win this election with brown feathers? As he was complaining to himself, a small bird heard him speaking. And she said, I can help you. You can borrow my feathers. I can? Turkey was so excited. Yes, you can borrow my feathers and after the election, return them. Well, Turkey was so excited. And that's when they took the feathers from the little bird and put them in with his brown feathers. Before Turkey knew it, he was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. And on election day, when Turkey strutted, his stuff in front of all the other birds. They all agreed that Turkey was the most beautiful. And not only that, he could do the job. So Turkey was elected to be ruler over all of the birds. He won. And so exciting. He couldn't wait. He was strutting his stuff all over the place, telling birds what to do, where to go, what to build, how to build it. He was having a wonderful time. Some time had passed. And Turkey still had those special feathers. Well, the tiny bird was starting to feel really cold. The season was changing and who wanted to see a naked bird? Well, everyone started to wonder, where was the tiny bird that when it flew across the sky, it almost looked like a rainbow? Hmm, they looked, but everyone was busy doing the things that Turkey had said. So the small bird went to see Turkey. My friend, I've come for my feathers. It's getting cold. Turkey said, feathers? <laughs> do you not see how beautiful these feathers look on me? I mean, what would you do with these beautiful feathers? I can't give them up now. Who would listen to me? Oh, I need more time, Turkey decided. Okay, and the little bird went back home, shivering, naked, and cold waited a little more time and went back to visit Turkey a second time. This time, Turkey wasn't kind at all. Turkey said, I'm not giving you these feathers. They're mine now. Go on your way. And the little bird didn't argue, didn't grumble, went back to her home, hoping that no one could see her nakedness. When she got close to her home, Owl, who was waking up from a daytime nap, happened to see the naked bird. And then he went to fly around to see if anybody else knew what was going on. He did not. And then he found out what Turkey had done. 
So the little bird went to sleep in her home and Owl decided that something needed to be done. He went around to all of the birds of every color, shape, size, and design and said, I need one feather from you. And each bird placed one feather in front of the tiny bird's nest. When she woke up the next day, she saw all of these feathers and thought that her friend Turkey had returned them and stuffed them all back into place, finding that she had new feathers. Didn't worry. She placed them all where they should be, and she was glowing and wanted to test out these feathers. She stretched her wings and flapped high into the sky. She flapped high into the sky. And when she rose above the trees and into the clear blue sky, everyone was in awe. Ooh, the butterflies looked up and said, ooh, ah, she is more beautiful than the flowers. And the flowers held up their heads and said, ooh, wow, she is more beautiful than the flowers. She kept flying and looking around, feeling renewed, rejuvenated with all of the positivity and all of the beauty that each feather gave. Not only did the little bird see that she was beautiful on the outside, everyone else knew that she was beautiful on the inside. So it didn't matter what Turkey had done. This bird was beautiful inside and out. Clap, 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 clap. Yay! <laughs> that is so cute. I love the story of the bird of the thousand feathers. And uh, thank you so much for telling it. And thank you for so, so much for being my guest today. It's a pleasure meeting you and seeing, seeing you give this story out. And in our replay, I'm really excited to actually have the video of this. And it's just delightful uh, that you're doing what you're doing, that you're passing on these stories in such a neat way. And I'm sure your little ones love hearing Mama speak. And uh, I know I did. And I, I look forward to sharing this with, with our community. So Keisha, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, stay warm up there in Canada. <laughs> Give all my buddies up in Canada big hugs and you're welcome down in South Florida anytime. But thank you again so much for sharing your talent and educating us with, with the stories. But for the most part for, for giving me a moment of joy listening to you give out your, to tell your story. So thank you again so very much for being my special guest today. Thank you so much, Debbie, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And yes, I will tell everyone hello and give them hugs on your behalf. Thank you again. All right, my friend, have a great, wonderful day. You too. All right. See you later. Bye. I know. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. 
Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.